Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. We're back for season two. Um, welcome back, Dave. Welcome back, Dustin. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, episode two zero one of season two. We uh, we never even thought we'd get to episode one zero two of season one. So I didn't think we were going to get to episode three. So here we are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And this will be the year of uh, changing backgrounds for me um, as as we're moving across the state, moving out of Seattle after you know 23 years here so that will be fun uh but we have a very good episode uh today we have two guests with us they serve with the navy in both guantanamo bay and norfolk virginia please welcome tiffany and laura uh thank you for joining us today thank you for having me yeah thank you for having me thank you for being on and i always uh Dustin always takes our, our first question and let's see. Uh, it's always it's always such a such a softball one too. But I know um I know this one's gonna be a I've heard this one before, so I'm pretty excited about it. Laura, how did you get into the Navy? Get into the Navy. <laughs> um <laughs> well, it, it's kind of a long story, but the long and short of it is I was living in Dubai. And my husband was abusive and I had to get away. So I looked into the Navy, which um, provided me training and everything I needed and a way to escape. And so I did that. Um, and wound up in Guantanamo Bay, which is something most people don't do. They don't go from the Middle East to Guantanamo Bay. No, that's um, a an interesting juxtaposition so um yeah and um yeah so i i kind of went in not necessarily wanting a naval career so much as looking for a safe place to go but once i was in i i enjoyed parts of it nice and tiffany what about you how did you end up um serving in the navy well, I took a look at how expensive college was and decided that if I was going to go into school, I needed some money and the Navy gave me the means for that. Nice. That, yep, that is definitely one of their, uh, their, their marketing uh, avenues they use. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a selling point. Uh, yeah. So then, then where did you, how did you two meet up? You want to take this one, Tiffany? Yeah, we served in Gitmo together. So you were you were there before Gitmo became the um, became the Gitmo of uh, notorious legend, or however I you were talking about that. I was. I got there just about three months before Tiffany. In fact, Tiffany was assigned to me as a somebody to, to show around, and okay. uh, I, I took that relationship very seriously, and we've been friends ever since. So. Um, that's how I know Dave. <laughs> um, that, that that's that's an oversimplification. I was Dustin's RA in college, and he showed up the first day in his 
track pants and a high school football jersey with a mohawk and i was like oh jesus <laughs> gonna have to watch this guy's gonna be a problem and then a week later we were best friends so yeah it's really simple <laughs> so yeah I, I i do remember that first day just going oh boy <laughs> so i don't know if that says a lot about dustin or a lot about me that uh we became best friends so quickly <laughs> so uh, Tiffany, uh, were you uh what was the what was the change up when you when you heard you were going to when you found out you were going to go to cuba and serve what was that like um, well, I had no idea what Cuba was, or I knew what Cuban was, but I didn't know what Guantanamo Bay was and why, when I got the orders, why there were a few people that kind of freaked out and they were, they were really concerned about it. Um, I was just excited. I was like, Cuba, that sounds neat. You know, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get to go to Havana. I'm going to get to party. It's going to be great. And, um, then, um, I did a little research on the internet and found out what was going on. And I was like, Oh, Oh no. This oh, is, blessed. yeah, I was, I was not as nearly as excited as before. Um, Cause one of the other reasons why I joined the Navy was to, you know, travel and, you know, experience new cultures and, you know, just do something more than, you know, my normal, you know, I, I, I like was born and raised in the same place and I kind of wanted to experience more of the world. And then I got stuck in isolated duty in Cuba and that was not my idea of what I wanted. So it was kind of a disappointment. Yeah. And when they say travel the world, you thought it'd be more than a hour boat trip away from Florida. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were both expecting something different. I, I was asking for um, Atlantic service or in hopes to get to Europe. And I went up in Gitmo. I totally forgot about Gitmo. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. yeah they, they technically, technically uh, got you to the Atlantic. <laughs> uh, you were hoping for the other side of it, though. I was hoping the other side of it. Um, and, and you mentioned you were there before Gitmo became Gitmo. Yeah. Uh, was that kind of an immediate, like, just change, like in the atmosphere and you could feel it? Or was it kind of over time things just kept changing? It was pretty immediate. Um, basically, once we knew everything got, was built really quickly. Um, the permanent facilities were built amazingly quickly. Um, so they had a, obviously a long-term plan here. And that's what impressed upon me is that they're really building quite a bit. Um, where was I? <laughs> the, the transition to- Oh yeah, uh... the, re the feel of it before then though, it was very much like very laid back and everybody knew each other. You know, it was great for snorkeling and fishing. There were no restrictions. It was just kind of a big party when you weren't working. Um, but once the, they started flying detainees and the stress level jumped through the roof, um, we had a lot more people on the base. We had a lot more uh, army on the base, which we weren't used to having on a naval base. Um, and it, they restricted things we could do for fun, so. And what was it like for you, Tiffany, to 
to be going into that environment. Obviously, you know, like you said, you did some research and realized that it wasn't quite what you thought it would be, but actually arriving there, um, what was that kind of intake like for you? Um, well, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Um, like Laura, she gave me some, some heads up here and there, but I, I, I wasn't expecting a desert. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be so dry. I was expecting this, like, you know, it was the tropics. So I was expecting lots of tropical plants and, you know, animals and stuff like that. But I, I was not expecting the, the cactuses and, or cacti. And I, I, when I got off the plane, I wasn't expecting this dusty, you know, air filled. It was just, it was, this is not what I was expecting. It felt very, um, almost, almost like third world, but not quite that, you know, it was real close to it though. Um, like, cause they were, they were still like the base was still being built up. Like they were still making improvements and stuff. Like when I first got there, there was only a few restaurants. So you only had a few choices of places to eat. And um, so it was, it was still in the process of being, uh, I, I know that uh, while I was there, they improved the base quite a bit and they, they spent more time on uh, morale and welfare. Um, and so it was, I, it was, it was just jarring. It just didn't like, it was not what I was expecting even with my research. Well, I will say I was today today years old when I found out it's not a lush tropical environment that a few good men makes it seem to be or when you think of Cuba. So, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, what was my next question? I had a next question. Um, oh, what was um, what was what was it like operating with uh, so much army there? Uh, Laura, you said that they, you know, they came on fast, and all of a sudden there was there was much more back and forth between the army and the navy. Was did that change the like your day to day living situation, or did that did that really like affect how how life was on the base? What, what was that like? It, it did eventually affect the living situation, and Tiffany can tell you more about that. But um, we were living basically in condemned barracks. Um, all of you know, all the buildings were condemned. <laughs> And so um, part of their of the money went to rebuilding, and people had to move and shift places. Um, let's see, where was I going? <laughs> the 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 change with the with the army and and oh, I guess right yes. Um, if we there was like just a few bars we hung out at, um, and they would come from the camps down to those, and it would be just more problems, you know. Uh, they, and it wasn't that it was an army navy thing. It was just a different culture, you know, and it brought a lot of uh, extra men and very, very few women um, to the same island. So, yeah, I, uh, when you talk about, I mean, I know that well, I went to school in San Diego uh, to University of San Diego for a while and I went to a Padre game and the Navy was on one side and the Marines were on the other. 
it could not have been more different. <laughs> the Marines come in, they file in in formation, they sit down in formation, cross their legs the same way, the, all their sleeves are the same. They don't move until the seventh inning, um, until they jog out together under formation and the Navy was on the other side drinking and taunting them. And I remember looking at that thinking, well, I would definitely join the Navy before I joined the Marines. Um, was there any cross, you know, when you're at the bar, did it kind of, oh, we lost Dustin. Oh, well, uh, he'll be, he'll pop back on. Um, like in terms of a, um, at least shared mission, or was it pretty much one side and the, and the other, not necessarily not liking each other, but just not sharing? Um, I don't think there was that that kind of conflict. It was just more people with a different mentality coming in and causing more problems. Yeah. Um, and for whoever uh, whoever wants to take the, you know, as I worked for customs and did a lot on the counterterrorism side and even in that, there was things they would tell us and things they wouldn't tell us. And, you know, I would I would imagine and stop me if I'm wrong, that at Guantanamo, you probably had a lot of, you know, things that just, you know, buildings that you didn't, was it, was it really like, don't go, that building over there is, the CIA has that, or, you know, uh, the CIA has that and we don't talk about that building or, or what was it like in that day to day when it really ramped up with the detainees there? I was at the beginning of it. So maybe Tiffany can speak to that better. Um, okay. So you had, you had little areas that you would, you wouldn't go. Um, like we didn't like, neither one of us had any business going to like half the, half the base, like half the base was, we had no reason to go there. And if you had no reason to go there, you just didn't go there. Yeah. And um, there were there were offices that you didn't go to that you just, if you, it was basically, if you had no reason to go there, you just didn't go. So, um, and you didn't ask questions and you didn't talk about it. And, you know, cause there was, there were people on the base that were not military. So there were, there were, there were people that would uh, come in and they'd work or there were refugees that would work there as they're trying to get citizenship to the United States, or they were uh, trying to get political asylum from their country. And so you had a you had a mixed bag of who was there. And so you were real careful, just like if you were in the United States, you didn't talk about certain things and you didn't, you, you just didn't overstep those boundaries. And you just knew because they, they, they there's, Plenty of training that teaches you hey you don't you know you stick stick to your lane basically and don't don't overstep does that type of environment uh no dustin just said lightning surge knocked him off and he's rebooting so he should be back on oh. um does that environment where you have things you don't talk about lead to, um, like I had a friend who worked at Area 51 um, security and there were a lot of rumors, shall we say, about different buildings that maybe held things you don't talk about. And I think the rumors kind of led to, you know, bigger stories. Was there kind of an undercurrent that would go, like when there's things you can't talk about, 
uh, and, and I understand, you know, some of it's just because not everyone, you know, pioneers, but um, does that lead to maybe a more stressful environment as, you know, like in Jaws, when you couldn't see the shark, your mind fills in something even worse than what it actually is. Um, if, if your mind fills it in or it's true. <laughs> That's <laughs> the thing you have to figure out later when you have PTSD. So. Yeah. I didn't have issues not knowing about like, you know, the secret stuff that was going on. Um, my issues were more... Um, I would see, you know, various holes and defenses and, or I, I'd be concerned about certain things and just like, because I didn't know the precautions that were taken to prevent certain attacks or certain circumstances that I would, I would have some anxiety there. Um, but as far as like the secret stuff, I was kind of happy not knowing about it because then, you know, I, I wasn't involved. So, you know, some of the, I'm sure there were things that occurred that is not exactly something that I would be proud of or would like to know about. Um, and, and that's true in any, like any, any part of the world, like, you know, government doesn't matter it, there's there's always something that I'm, I'm pretty happy about being ignorant about it and yeah. so you know I kind of saw it as a blessing but you know the, it was mostly I wanted to feel safe and I didn't always feel safe when I was overseas yeah and that um pardon me I'm just trying to to pull one thing up here. Um, let me clear. I, I thought it was in my email and then I just remembered it's in my text messages. So I should pull up the right thing. Um, oh, where did Dustin's? Um, you, uh, you guys had a, a, a I don't want to say comic strip. Um, Graphic novel. Graphic Sorry. novel. Yes, thank you. Uh, graphic no novel about your your stories, um, and that's what I, I was just trying to bring it up so I could tell people where to go find it. But um, could you tell us how, like, how did that come about that that you were able to tell that part of your story through the the graphic novel medium? And and or actually, I'll I'll ask the follow up in a second. <laughs> Okay, um, I, I kind of instigated it. Uh, there was a local uh, journalist here named Sarah Merck in Portland, and um, she had done some work with a fellow who had been a guard in Gitmo and um, had just been interested in the story and had just some nice things with him. And I thought maybe she'd be interested in my story. So we um, got together and got to know each other and we tried the zine format um, and it was a wonderful success. Um, I think Lucy Bellwood, the illustrator, and, and Sarah Merck did a really good job. And they included, you know, the story that I was able to tell at the time. I'll have to say I've remembered things since then that I think should have been different in the zine, but it was what I knew at the time. And that's that's all you can really do is. That's all you can do. Um, 
But, you know, as we've been doing our documentary with the Vietnam veterans, it's been interesting to see um, the difference between the guys who have been talking about their experience the whole time and some guys who had not talked about it until the day we sat down with them for the first time. Um, and I know one of our one of our subjects, Craig, has actually written many books about his time, and that seems to have helped him you know, to have been telling the story the whole time for you to sit down and, and put your story into that graphic novel. How did that feel afterwards to, to kind of be able to do that and, and, and tell it? Did, did you feel anything the next day? Like, <laughs> I, I did feel um, better. I felt like I had done something about it. Um, I also studied to be an artist and was in studying art in uh, PSU at, at the time. So, you know, it was just kind of another one of those projects I did. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased with the outcome. I think it was a great experience and it was a healing experience for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's through this podcast and through the movie, that's, really all we're trying to say is just being able to talk to bridge the gap you know a to be willing to talk and b to have someone to talk to um to bring those together i mean we've seen such a huge difference uh, as we follow these veterans year over year over year of the power of talking and it's it's kind of amazing to look at an interview from 2016 and one from 2020 um and to see that. Um, uh, Tiffany, were you also in that or was that Laura? I, I was. I, I, I did it anonymously though. Um, so, I mean, if somebody was to watch this and you know, they could probably put two and two together. Um, but we don't have to go into anything you don't want to go into. That's yeah, I, 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 yeah, there, there, are, there are some um, things that I, I would like to not talk about, but okay. it was, it was kind of a healing experience. I had the same kind of experience there and it was nice to have that outlet. And I noticed, I don't, I don't, I, I want to think that doing that helped and maybe some people were able to see my story and kind of think about what could be occurring because I noticed that shortly after that there was there was some movement in the right direction as far as how females are treated in the military um, because it is definitely a male-dominated um, career field and it's it is definitely difficult as a female to be in the military. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, Dustin and I had talked about this going into it, of, of knowing, you know, the experiences and and we talked about it and we're like, are we, I know culturally right now, are people not going to like, you know, two male hosts talking to to two female soldiers about, you know, and, and finally I was just like, you know, if these conversations were easy, we wouldn't have to do this podcast, we wouldn't have to do this movie um and and that's everyone has to be willing to have the conversations um no matter how tough the subject is um and, and they need to be told um 
and to know that even if a few people looked at that that graphic novel um we've gotten emails from people who've seen the trailer to the movie veterans i've never met from all over the country email me and tell me their story um in the email saying wow you know i just want to tell my story and sometimes maybe there's a little dust in the room as i read it not only just to hear their story but to think that way inspired that is kind of heavy sometimes as i sit in my office in my extra bedroom <laughs> doing this um but usually we'd save this question kind of towards the end but i think it's a good place to to, to talk about it now in terms of what advice would you have to other veterans or to family members in terms of of telling that story and how it felt and 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 what advice you would give to vietnam veterans from 50 years and haven't talked to soldiers who just came home or transitioned out of the military yesterday um, any advice you would have for them Uh, my advice is that you don't have to talk. My my advice: you don't have to tell anybody your stories. You, don't feel pressured to do it. Uh, if you don't want to, you don't have to. Um, but it's definitely, uh, it, it's definitely a process in healing if you need that. So if you find that you are struggling with or coping with some of the things that happened while you served. It is definitely worth, um, even even if it's not like uh, structured therapy, just talking to a friend or a family member, somebody you trust about what happened can really help and also let you remember some things. You might not remember everything. That's one of the, the symptoms of PTSD is you'll, you'll forget and it'll come back in waves. Like you'll, you'll have a dream and you're like, oh, I forgot about that. That, that was, that was very stressful and I didn't like that. And, you know, it's, it's good to talk about things. Um, and, but you don't have to, because it's just, it, do it in your own time and your own way. Yep. Uh, Laura, any I agree with Tiffany. It's definitely a healing experience if you if you want to share, and if you want to share just a little bit of your story, that's fine too. Um, I think everybody should respect each other's wishes and and support each other, even if they can't speak about their story. So. Yeah, and and I can say for i'll speak for dustin since he's not on i can put any words i want in his mouth no um for us having done this for the last four years a it taught me a lot about listening i thought i was a good listener but when you do a documentary i would have to pause to allow room for the editor to go so when i think something was done i'd be counting in my head like one two three and in that silence is when they would really start talking um and, and it taught me that we're so quick to want to offer our advice to, to get in and, and, and fix that problem that we start talking. And by only being allowed to listen and allow that, that's where the true conversation started happening. And it is for anyone, you know, I, I wasn't in the military, I was in law enforcement, but that's, you know, I, I like to say that's halfway. Like I've served in a uniform and I could kind of bridge that gap. Um, and, and find some commonalities, but 
having not been a veteran, it you have to understand that it's not going to be a, we're going to sit down over coffee and like everything's going to be great by the time we're done. It is a, a, you know, it's a process and all you can do is sit there and whatever they are willing to share at that time. Um, and you don't have to solve any problems. You don't have to be a fixer. It's, you know, be an ear to listen um, would be my advice from what I've learned. <laughs> um, but obviously you, you have come home and, and separated from the military coming home from Gitmo to the United States. What, what was that a big transition to, to kind of leave that world and back, back to the U S or what was that like for you? It was huge. It was very different. It, it I, everything like it was, it was like, I went through culture shock coming back to the United States, you wouldn't think that much would change in a year and a half, but you would be amazed, especially at that time frame. Um, in just like going from only being able to drive 25 miles an hour to being able to drive 70 miles an hour on the highway. Um, it took me, took me almost a year to get used to driving on highways again. And it's just little things like that and it, it, it adds up. So yeah, it was definitely an adjustment. And for you, Laura? Well, for me, it was all kinds of culture shock because I was living in Dubai and I went straight from Dubai to boot camp. Um, well, not straight, I went via Italy. <laughs> and, um, you know, then wound up in Gitna. And then when I got out, it had been like I had been away for many years. So it was really culture shock for me. And did you, I know you both served at Norfolk. Was that before or after, like, did you transition to Norfolk and have a little time or was it just out um, after you left Gitmo, I mean? Um, I was sent home early because I was having trouble in Gitmo um, and so I served in Gitmo from October 2001 to September 2002. And then I went to Norfolk. Okay. Um, you know, the culture shock of driving, but how, like just interactions with civilians and um, how was that like, did you find it hard to talk to civilians? No, you know, I joke that when I say I used to do counterterrorism stuff, I, like I interviewed a lot of people. Um, uh, people think, oh, Jack Bauer or whatever. Um, did you talk about where you're stationed or was that just not worth it because people have the wrong impression? How did you go about that? I didn't really talk about it. Um, like there's a couple of people I would talk to about it, but it was mostly like friends or family. Um, I wasn't like, I didn't, we didn't. So after 9-11, uh, they didn't want you advertising you were in the military. They wanted you to keep that kind of on the down low. And so, you know, wearing your uniform in public, you weren't supposed to, you weren't supposed to like stop and go shopping in uniform 
and you know even if you were in like your dress whites or something like that you weren't supposed to you were only supposed to wear your uniform if you're going to work um if you if you were out on leave you weren't supposed to wear your uniform which was one of those things i kind of wanted to be able to do because my my grandfather was in uh world war ii he was in the army in world war ii and and i i was you know kind of proud of it and he was real proud of me joining the navy and the first time i went home i wanted to to get off the plane in uniform and they wouldn't let me do that they they were like no you can't you can't wear your your uniform on the plane because they were worried about being you know us being targets and I think they've relaxed a little bit on that, but uh, that was one of those things that I kind of regretted. My my grandfather never got to see me in uniform. Yeah, that that is interesting. There, there's a lot of parallels to the Vietnam veterans who were told. I mean, different reasons. They were told not to get caught in their uniform because of the protesters, and and you know, a couple of our guys were spit on, um, but. Uh, is there a comment they they said that that kind of it they were proud and they did want to wear their uniform um and they kind of felt like that was a betrayal under their circumstances to to not be proud of it did you know did you feel that you know that was kind of a punch in the gut then or um to to not be able to i mean i know you like you said your, your grandpa didn't get to see you in your uniform but just even at the end of your service to to not be proud of that did that have even a longer lasting impact than if you had been able to wear it off the plane i don't think i don't think so because i understood the reasons why they didn't want us to wear uniforms and it wasn't it wasn't like we didn't have the same uh, situation because it was it was a different environment there was a lot of people that really supported the military about that time so it was not a it was not as concerning it was mostly they didn't want us to be targets for terrorists versus uh, protesters so it was a kind of a, a different situation and how about for you Laura in terms of of I want to say, you know, it's not quite the landing home, like coming back from Vietnam, but that initial step back onto U.S. soil, um, uh, that feeling like actually when when the plane got in or boat or <laughs> how it went. What, how it went when I... Well, I mean, um, you know, we talked about the culture shock of it, but you know, as, as you separated from the military, did you have a plan of where you wanted to go or was it, I'm out? Yeah, I kind of did. Um, I got a, I got an offer from where I was working. Um, I was, I got an offer for another position but it didn't have the clearance. And then finally I took a job in Denver as a contractor. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Been talking too much today. Um, and I guess, you know, we talked about advice to, to veterans in terms of talking, but just as you look back on your career and, and, and separating, is there anything that, you know, if you could go back and tell your yourself that 
you know, the, the person on the day of separation, what you know now, is there anything you would go back and, and, and tell yourself any, any words of wisdom uh, of, of, you know, going forward? <laughs> I, I, I do have one idea I'd like to put out there. Um, for anybody who's considering joining the military, um, I'd like to see them, people actually visit the VA hospitals because that's such a telling sign of what happens to people once they've served. And it's really, I think their motto is freedom is visible here. Um, yeah, I think, I think that would make an impression on somebody that may change their mind. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Uh, Tiffany, any words of wisdom that you would have, you would give yourself that your separating self that you've learned over the years? Um, not necessarily, because uh, I, I, I figured out a way to make it work for me, um, but I was real lucky in my ability to find a job after I got out. It's, it's a struggle finding work after you leave the military. Um, I think if you are intending to join the military um, or you're, you're looking at separating soon, um, having your, uh, your stuff squared away so you can apply for jobs. So your, your resume, um, your, your school, all that stuff lined up. Um, so when you get out, it's prepared, you're ready to go. And even if you have that buffer, like I had a, uh, I had two months leave saved up. So when I got out, I had two months to kind of figure out what I'm going to do and figure out how I'm gonna earn money. And even then I, I still had to uh, draw unemployment for a little bit. And uh, so it's, it just being prepared to have to find a job and like, cause they'll help you out a little bit. They'll kind of guide you a little bit when you leave, but yeah. once you leave, you're, you're kind of on your own and you're, 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 you're dumped out in the world and the, the, the military kind of shelters you from that. Um, cause normally your parents kind of ease you out into the world, but when you join the military, you, you kind of, distance yourself from that and you kind of go your own way and then suddenly you're out in the real world and you're like oh no I don't know how to do this I don't know how to apply for jobs I don't know how to you know find an apartment I don't know how to you know pay all my bills and that is something that you know they do teach you some of that stuff but it's it's just you have to learn that stuff and just being prepared knowing what sort of jobs to apply for um how to sell yourself because that's one thing i've noticed that people that did serve they don't they don't really look at all the stuff they did in the military because what I when I look back and see all the jobs that I had to do, because you do so you, you do so much work that you don't really get credit for. Like you, you're 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 basically a janitor. You're like everybody's a janitor in, a in the military. 
and a plumber and you're, you're, you're every, you're, 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 you have so many skills and you do so many jobs that you can put that stuff on your resume. And that's one of those, you know, your, your brag sheet, they tell you to do your brag sheet and where you put down all the stuff that you do, take a look at that and go, you know what, let me now they'll translate that into a civilian job. Go look at the job and go, you know what? I kind of did that in the military. So let's, let's, let's type that up. So it translates to a civilian job versus, cause there's not, you can't always say why well, I, I did the secret brief. Well, you know, that's the, somebody in, you know, a civilian job is going to look at that. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but you tell them that you, you did, you led, uh, briefs telling, uh, or you sold products or, you know, just having, being able to translate that into civilian life is, uh, and, and if you start that sooner rather than later, you're better off. Yeah. Being able to say I've led meetings or I have experience with, exactly. you know, the PowerPoint. Uh, yeah. And there's no mm-hmm. PowerPoint in the military, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, that's, that's excellent advice. And, and that is one thing that we've heard is having that lined up and getting going on it kind of stops you from kind of the quicksand of just getting out and nothing um, and going forward. Laura, you, go yeah, ahead. I'd like to add, um, get hooked up. If you're getting out soon, get hooked up with mental health at your local VA as soon as possible. Um, a lot of people try to go without it like I did, and it wound up being a very bad thing. Um, and I did not get the help I needed um, for years. So um, I encourage people to get mental health um, on, on the up and running as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, so many of the veterans that we've talked to from Vietnam, you know, back then it was just here's your pay, you know, go. Yeah. You know, they, they ask you getting off the plane, any problems? And of course, everyone's like, no, I don't want to go home. So they stamp it and you're gone and they went decades and, and almost all of them now are in, you know, therapy groups, PTS groups and, and go every week and sit down and they, they wholeheartedly endorse that it's and then the groups are, you know, World War II vets, Vietnam vets, uh, modern, uh, it's, it's a whole mix and just being able, um, yeah, um, and the, the first thing they'll say is there's no shame in it whatsoever to go do that that's what i have normally dustin would come in with a pithy comment now but lightning took him out of it this week um anything that we didn't cover that you that you'd want to say or any parting things um uh anything at all the the floor belongs to you guys or, or did i do such an awesome job that we already <laughs> Um, I do have something. Um, I just want anybody that's getting out of the military and having a rough time, it'll get better. It'll be okay. Very, yes. Very, that, you know, um, one guy's mantra is the war is over. Today is my day. Today's a new day. Um, And go live your life. Uh, He says that to himself every morning. And then goes out and goes surfing, and and he likes to say he takes the he takes the childhood the military stole from him by sending him to war, uh, and just goes out and lives his day. Uh, 
he called himself Peter Pan. <laughs> um, Laura, any anything to general? Anything general? Um, no, I would I would caution people considering going into the military uh, to really make sure it's the right decision for them if they don't have any other options. Um, really, I, I feel like we were fighting a rich man's war and we were the pawns, um, but it's, you know, it, it, in some ways it was uh, interesting, like, a, you know, if you're interested in international business or politics, that aspect, it was very interesting, but overall you're gonna be working really hard doing crummy jobs and uh, having bad hours and probably PTSD at least, so. Yeah. So, um, well, all I can say is thank you so much for joining us today. Um, well, us until Dustin <laughs> zapped out. Um, for our audience, thank you for joining us as well. I uh, hope you're enjoying your morning commute uh, when most podcasts are, are listened to. Go ahead and follow us on uh, any of your favorite stations, iHeartRadio or uh, follow us on Facebook. I don't want to name every one because then people will feel left out. If you're listening, give us a follow, tell your friends and get the word out. But thank you so much. I'm going to hit end. This is where I do the zoom face of finding where to hit it. Uh, but go ahead and stay on the line. Uh, I'm just going to end the recording for the podcast. Okay. That is the wrong button. I did that before where I actually ended the whole meeting. <laughs> That was embarrassing. You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting down with the veterans in your life. Because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.